Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning, any of you who are visiting, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're connecting with us, streaming online, welcome. What is X? What is X? Is it the question? Is X the answer? Is it the unknown? Or is X the known? Depending on context, X is all of that. It's all of the above and more. X is nearly the universal identifier. It's become the universal symbol for the known, the unknown, and it seems anything in between. Something representing the good. X can be something that represents the bad. It can be something totally and completely just indifferent. Have you ever watched that program, The Family Feud? What happens when a player gives the wrong answer? Right in obnoxious horn sounds, a big old X comes on the screen. And it denotes a strike, a bad thing. But when someone is bowling, and on their first roll, they knock down all the pins. What happens? Everybody cheers. There's a big X on the screen. It's a strike. And that's a good thing. X on a football diagram represents the defense. And that could be friend. That could be foe. We have a generation we call X. In measurement, X is another dimension. When we're noting measurements of length and width and height, we put an X in between each dimension and it lets us know it's from one to the other. X is a bad thing if it's followed by two more X's. X is a good thing if it's cross your heart. X is popular in math and science. It's the horizontal axis in the Cartesian coordinate system, and that's helpful. And X in math, it's the symbol for multiplication. But in algebra, in algebra, X is a variable. It's typically an unknown. So is X the question? Is it the answer? Is it the known? Is it the unknown? Yes! Yes! X can be all of them. When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Jesus Christ and the season of celebrating his birth, Christmas, X has been just as confusing. Some see X as bad, some as good. Mostly X has been vilified when it comes to Christmas. X has been vilified as the remover of Christ giving us Xmas, a Christless Christmas. Or is that really the case? You might have gone shopping. Perhaps you've received a, a card bold across that headline or that advertisement or that card. It doesn't say Christmas. It says Xmas. And there it is. Christ is missing. He's been crossed out. 
Or is it? Is Xmas a deliberate attempt to eliminate Christ from Christmas? Perhaps it's not what you think. Some might think they're putting something over on us, removing Christ. But I'm here to say this morning, no one, no one can take Christ out of Christmas. And Xmas does not take Christ out of Christmas. The use of this symbol, the use of this X, it dates all the way back to the Greek New Testament, to the first copies that were made of the New Testament, of the letters and of the Gospels that were circulated. And that's right. The X was in there to represent Christ. It was a shorthand notation in these Greek manuscripts that circulated around. X was shorthand for Christ. X means Christ. In Greek, the first letter of the word Christos, which means Christ, is the letter chi. What does chi look like? Well, you guessed it. If you said X, it looks just like an X. When the New Testament was written, there was no such thing as a printing press. Everything was hand-copied. And that was tedious. That was tedious. So to ease this task for scribes that would copy, they came up with shorthand notations. Some of the earliest of these shorthand notations were for the names of God, God, Jesus, Lord, Spirit, and Christ. These shorthands have come to be referred to as nomina sacra, and that means sacred names for the sacred names. There were these recognized shorthand notations which were typically the first letter. Sometimes it was the first or the second letter of the name. And for Christ, that shorthand was chi, which looks like an X. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't know. That really sounds pretty far-fetched. Maybe it's a fairy tale you heard, or it's, uh, you know, it's just some kind of far-fetched myth. But is it that far-fetched? I don't think so. We use shorthand all the time. Anyone in here involved in chemistry? Or at least maybe you could think back to your high school chemistry experience. There's a thing called the periodic table. It's all shorthand notations for elements. And many of them, many of them have a single letter. You might remember some, right? C for carbon, H for hydrogen, F for fluorine, O for oxygen, S for sulfur. Why was that developed? Well, a chemist didn't want to write all these words into his chemical equation, did he? No, he came up with this shorthand, one letter, or maybe two. And these shorthands and symbols, they're used throughout math and science and everyday life. How many of you have one of these? Quite a few of you here, I imagine. 
And how many of you send or receive text messages? I'm guessing just about the majority or way over, a big, big majority in here has sent or received a text message. So you probably know some text message shorthand, don't you? Right? You know, LOL, right? Laugh out loud. You know JK is just kidding. You might have, you might have typed BRB, I'll be right back. Or maybe, maybe you've punched this up or even said it on occasion. TMI, TMI, too much information, okay? We've come up with these shorthands, these, these shorthands to, to save our thumbs, right? And if we've done that, if we've come up with shorthands to save our keystrokes, doesn't it stand a reason that if you were using an inkwell and a quill, that you might think, how, how could I reduce some of this? I'm getting a little writer's cramp. Of course, of course you'd probably come up with some ideas to, to reduce your task. But you don't have to believe me because there's evidence. There's evidence that I can show you that, that gives these examples of shorthand notations. Do you know that there are over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament in existence today, and that is above and beyond by, uh, by huge numbers, by factors of scale. It's above and beyond what exists for any ancient text. There is more evidence for the New Testament than any ancient writing ever. And there is a great collection of New Testament manuscripts at the U of M library. And that's right here in our own backyard. You can go and look at it. There is this wonderful collection of New Testament manuscripts. It's the bulk of Romans and Hebrews and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And these all date to the second century perhaps as early as 150. So these are the actual papyrus pages that somebody wrote on nearly 2,000 years ago. And I've got an example from this collection where we can see one of these nomina sacras. We can see the shorthand notation of Christ. Here's the, here's the page. This is one of the pages of the many that are in this collection at the University of Michigan. And this particular page is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the second letter. The second letter to the Corinthians. And this is chapter 12. It's the beginning of chapter 12. It's all Greek to me. Yeah. But in English, in English it says this, I knew a man in Christ who... 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And that verse is there beginning on the, the fourth line of this page here that was 
handwritten, hand-copied from the original letter that Paul wrote. This copy was made nearly 2,000 years ago. And there, fourth line down, you see in Greek, and it's highlighted where it says, I knew a man in. Last, the last part there, you see it looks like a little E-N. It's epsilon nu N. And that means in. I knew a man in. What's the next word? What's the next word that's going to come? The next word is Christ. And there it is. There's Christ. One letter, it's the X. One letter, it's the chi. It's the chi in Greek. That's it. There's the shorthand. Now, following it, there's this little symbol there that, that follows. It's, uh, it's an omega with a hash across the top, and that's what they call a case ending. That's just a grammatical notation. Tells whether it's the noun there is the subject or the object. That's it. The point is Christ. Christ is there with that one symbol. Christ is identified as this chi, or what we see in our English as the letter X. Now, people picked up on this. Translators of the Bible who saw these original Greek manuscripts and began to translate these into English, well, they picked up on the notation too, and they used it. As a matter of fact, that X for Christ has been used for centuries, and, for, and it's been used in the notation Xmas. Xmas. It's been used for centuries. I've seen a hymnal that was printed in 1833. All the Christmas songs were noted as Xmas songs. A preacher's handbook printed in 1751. Dozens of times, dozens of times, Xmas appears. And it means Christ. The X means Christ. So when you see it, like you see all these other shorthands, when you see TMI, you know it's too much information. When you see LOL, you say laugh out loud. When you see X, say Christ. Say Christ. You don't have to say Xmas. When you see it, say Christmas. Because it means Christ. Now, of course, there are some who they see this, they see the X, and they completely miss Christ. But we know better. You can't take Christ out of Christmas. We're beginning this Christmas season this morning. And as we progress through the season, we're going to unpack the magnificence of Christmas. And if some are missing Jesus... At the center of it all, we are going to present Jesus as the real, true, wonderful meaning of Christmas. If some see just an X because they've never heard the gospel of Christ, if some have deliberately crossed out Christ, our aim is to illuminate Jesus at the center of it all for all to see that he is the hope and the love and the joy and the peace for all and that he is the light of the world i want to encourage you invite people invite them to these 
Sunday services that are progressing towards Christmas Eve next week. Love. We're going to have a powerful message on love. And it's going to point straight to salvation and straight to Jesus as being our rescuer. Pastor Julie's going to preach that next week. Invite someone. The following week, the joy of Christmas. And then the peace. The peace. Christ is the peace of Christmas. You, I just want to encourage you as best I can that we are going to keep Jesus at the center of it all. If some see an X, we're going to show them Jesus. This morning, I want to look at a man who had an experience with Jesus. He had a hope to see Jesus. And he saw Jesus. But he didn't just see a man. He didn't just see a human being who may have been a little extra special. No, he saw Jesus as his Savior when no one around him did. He saw Jesus as a light of revelation to the world. He saw Jesus as salvation for all people. And I want to just take some time to look at this man's experience. His name was Simeon. And he met Jesus when Jesus was only an infant. He was just a baby. But Simeon had been waiting and he had been hoping for just this encounter. It's an account that's given in the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, your tablet, uh, whatever device you have that you're Bible is on. Get it over to Luke chapter 2. It's at verse 25. Verse 25 to 35 that presents this account of Simeon. And I want to read it to you. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. He praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's the account of this man, Simeon. It's the only account we have of him in the Bible. We knew he was waiting. The account tells us he was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit was on him. There had not been a prophet in this land of Israel for 400 years. The last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, he prophesied that the Savior would come. He prophesied that the Lord would come suddenly to his temple, and he said the Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in his rays of light, burning within Simeon, was this hope, was this hope for this Savior, the one who would suddenly appear in the temple, the one with healing in his rays, a promise that God had made immediately after the fall of mankind. This wasn't just a promise that was made in the last book of the Old Testament. No, this was a promise that began nearly at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, when the first man and woman rebelled against God, when they were disobedient and they sinned, God sought them out. And God found them, though they tried to hide from God. And God confronted them, and he chastised them for their sin. And a curse was put on mankind, and a curse was put on the whole earth because of sin. What had been originally created in the garden had now changed. What was once this near and cherished relationship between God and man, it had been marred. It had been altered. Sin caused a breach. It caused a chasm. And the bond between man and God was broken. That original near, cherished, wonderful relationship, it was ruptured. And there was a division now with God and with mankind. But did God leave it like that? No. God left the door open to regain that lost connection. And it begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God cursed the tempter. He cursed the serpent. And God said, I'm going to put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. That's looking forward to something that's looking forward to something from the woman, her offspring. It's a pointer towards Jesus Christ. Because God went on and he said, he will crush your head. Serpent, the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head. You will strike his heel. So that old serpent called the devil, that old serpent called Satan, who deceived the whole world, God said the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head. That was the beginning of the hope. That was the beginning of the hope for redemption. That was the beginning of the hope for reconciliation, the hope for victory over sin and that crushing of the lying, deception of the wicked one called Satan. And then the promises of God continued to mount. They continued to pile up. God said to Abraham, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's pointing to Jesus. God spoke uh, through Balaam. He said, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter. That is a king will rise out of Israel. That's pointing to King Jesus. The prophet Nathan said to King David, God will raise up your offspring to succeed you and establish a kingdom. Your house, David, your kingdom will endure forever. 
and before God, your throne will be established forever. That's pointing to something that's going to last forever. King Jesus. To Isaiah, God said, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Again, that's pointing towards Jesus. To the prophet uh, Micah, a word came, and Micah said, Of the town of Bethlehem, out of you, Bethlehem, though you're the smallest and the least, out of you, Bethlehem, will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, whose origins are from ancient times. Again, that's speaking of Jesus. That's speaking of Jesus who was from the foundation of the world. The plan was that he would be the Savior. Now I could go on with dozens and dozens and dozens more of the promises that God pointed toward Jesus Christ as the one who would be the conqueror of the serpent, the one who'd be the promised child, the one who'd be the promised king whose throne would last forever. And it was these promises, it was the hope of these promises and all the rest that filled the heart of Simeon. Simeon was a devout man, it says. It was, he was a devout man in the temple. There's no doubt in my mind that he knew the Old Testament, that he knew the word of God, that he knew the promises of God. And he had filled his heart with these promises. But Simeon himself received a promise. He received a promise that he held on to. The Holy Spirit had impressed upon Simeon this. Simeon, your hope is going to become sight. Before you die, Simeon, before you breathe your last, before you go on, Simeon, you will see the promise of the Lord. Then Jesus was born. Jesus was born and one day his mother and his father, Mary and Joseph, they entered the temple. And Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit that day. I imagine his senses were heightened. I imagine he was feeling something. I've got to get to the temple. I've got to be in there. And then his eyes got big and they grew wide and he saw this child and Simeon beheld the promise of God. Simeon saw this infant, he saw this baby and he saw what so many others did not see. Obscured from their sight as if a big X had been placed in front of them. They missed it. But Simeon recognized and he saw Christ in that little child. He saw salvation. Simeon recognized that the infant Jesus was the promised Savior. Even as an infant, Simeon saw Jesus. This little baby was mighty, was mighty to save. To save from what? To save from what, people ask? To save from this curse. To save from the curse of sin. We we sung this morning not only about the salvation of Jesus, but for the reason why, the curse of sin. And Jesus came to break that curse and offer us a way out to restore a right relationship, men and women to their creator God. And Simeon spoke prophetically. The prophets had been gone now for 400 years and Simeon begins to prophesy about what is going to come to pass. He says this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. The falling of those who would cling with all their might to their corrupt rules of righteousness. 
The falling of those who would hang on to their man-made ways to somehow believe that they would be right with God. Those were the rejectors of Christ. They held hard and fast to their regulations and their rules for righteousness. And it was nothing but self-righteousness. But Simeon also said the child is destined to cause the rising of many. Reading that, I don't want to be one who's falling. I don't want to be one that's falling. I want to be one who's rising. What is this to be destined to be one who is rising? The many who would see Jesus. The many who would see Jesus would rise and not fall. Those who, like Simeon, would recognize Jesus as the promised one, the one promised to bridge that gap, to restore men and women back to God. When you see Jesus Christ as that, you're going to be the one rising. You're going to be the one rising to newness of life. God de desires this reconciliation. He desired it since the fall of man. He revealed his plan. He revealed his plan to the earliest man and woman, the first two who sinned. God didn't withhold this plan. He opened it up to them. That's the story of the Old Testament. God is patiently pursuing his people. He is wooing them time and time again in the most overt and obvious ways. Seas are parted miraculously. Walls crumble without a tool ever being set to the foundations. Rains stopped. And they stopped for a long time. And then the dry ground was watered again. Enemies were scattered without a weapon ever being used time and time again throughout the Old Testament. God showed his love and he displayed his patience and he displayed his power, wooing his people, calling them back, saying, I want this relationship with you. Yet time and time again, despite the great signs, despite the powerful miracles, Despite the fact that God protected his people and he delivered them time and again, God was rejected. God was, they turned their back on him. It was, this, it was this, if he would be standing before the people and they shut their eyes. I don't want to see you. They refused to see him. So God had a plan. And the plan was Jesus. And it was a new covenant, a new promise. And that's the New Testament. But the New Testament story is sadly similar. Jesus offered a new way to God. The Bible calls it the new covenant. And it's a new and everlasting forever promise. And that promise is Jesus. And when you see Jesus, see your salvation. That's why Jesus came. We heard this morning from Isaiah 12, verse 2, surely God is my salvation. Jesus is God. But even when Jesus walked the earth and he performed powerful signs and miracles, he healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind, he, had, he fed thousands from a single meal. But what happened to Jesus? He too was despised and rejected. And the rejection of Jesus continues. 
it continues to this present day. People would rather put their hope in government, their hope in careers, their hope in power and money and self-help books, their, their hope in all kinds of forms of uh, false religions, their hope in chasing other things, hoping for something that never, ever fulfills. All the while, they are missing the one and the only true hope, Jesus Christ. You know, we can depict Christ as the Greek letter chi. I could spell it out, C-H-R-I-S-T. I can preach and I can teach and expound and encourage all the benefits of Jesus Christ. But if Christ displayed in so many ways is not seen, if people cover their eyes, if they X him out, like Simeon who saw salvation, if they're not seeing it, they're falling. You can try to remove Christ. You can try to replace Christ. You can try to hold on to all those things that you think are going to be your salvation and your fulfillment, governments or people or power or whatever. And no matter how hard you try to hold on to those things, you're falling. You're falling to the pit. Simeon knew what he hoped for. And he saw his hope become reality in Jesus Christ. And nothing Nothing can ever remove that reality of what he saw. Nothing can ever replace the reality of what he saw. When Jesus Christ is seen as salvation, it's then and only then that there is a rising to eternal life. How do you see Jesus this morning? How do you see Christmas? Is it just a tradition, a cute story that has no consequence? Do you see a Christless Xmas? Or do you see Christos? Do you see Jesus Christ, born the promised Savior? When you think about Christmas, do you see salvation? When I think upon Christmas, words can't express how our Father in heaven has sent us his best to be born in a manger, the King in the hay. In creation, we'll worship his name. For the joy of the world, he was born, bringing
some of the things that you're thinking about. Words can't express how our Father in heaven has sent us his best. Now the darkest of ages are done. For the Savior of heaven has come. He had us on his mind. That line there causes me to stop. For the God of heavens had us on his mind. And I think, did he? And then I think, yes, yes. Since Genesis, when he said, and you will crush his head. God had us on his mind. When Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, For them who would believe, he had us on his mind. Simeon's experience embodies what is required of all of us. The Holy Spirit moved on his heart, and he saw salvation by faith. Jesus had performed zero miracles. Jesus wasn't even a man. He was just an infant child. But Simeon saw him as the Savior of the world. God gave us this gift of love, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the Savior. Salvation is here. He offers forgiveness for sin, and it's free. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. You just need to see it. You need to recognize it. You need to receive it by faith. If you want to turn from holding on to all the things of the world, you can do that this morning and turn to Christ. Because regardless of whatever you're holding on to, whatever is your hope, it isn't going to stand forever like King Jesus Christ. You need to let those things go. I know it sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds like a paradox. I can't do it. It's the only way to rise is to let go of what you think is taking you up. It's taking you down. Let go and see Christ. Christ Jesus as salvation. You can do that this morning. If any of you here are thinking, I've never really thought of it that way. I've I've, I've seen Christmas as just this story. And I'm seeing there's more to it. If God's working on your heart a little bit this morning, yield to it. Yield to it like Simeon did and open your eyes. Open your eyes. And I'm going to just invite you to pray with me right now. If that's anyone in this sanctuary this morning, you've never really said, Jesus, I want to let it all go and hold on to you. And I trust you're the Savior of the world. Pray with me right now. Father in heaven, thank you, God, for this morning in your evident presence. You're good, God. 
you're good, and we thank you for that. God, thank you for sending us your best, your son, Jesus, who made a way for us, who paid a price for sin, and it was the only way, God. It was the only way you promised from the beginning. You saw it through till he came. He'd be the king forever. He'd stand in the place of righteousness for us because we could never, ever do it. No matter what we hang on to, God, our good works, whatever we think is going to make us right, can't do it. Can't do it like Jesus. He was the perfect one, the only one who didn't sin, the only one you receive is sinless. And he'll stand as our substitute. He'll stand before you and he'll lift us up. Thank you, God. I pray if there's anyone in this room right now, Lord, as they reach out to you, I pray they would just pray this. Jesus, I receive you. I see you. I recognize you as my Savior. And I want to turn from what I've been holding on to and I want to let it go. And I need that forgiveness for my sins. And I want you to save me and my soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, receive any and all who prayed that prayer this morning. Receive their tender hearts and their sincerity, God. And we just ask your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen.